Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, once again, is our former intern, Soren Johnson. Hey, it's great to be back. <laughs> and we also welcome back our friend, designer of At The Gates, John Schaefer. Hello. It's good to be here. Literally here. Yeah, uh, for the first time ever, we are actually all in one room at the same time. And what has brought us together is, of course, the opportunity to celebrate the fact that civilization is now old enough to rent a car. <laughs> uh, so Civ, Civ just turned 25 and uh, has also posted some pretty remarkable sales numbers over its life as a franchise. So it's been a, a pretty massive success for uh, for Axis, but it's also been, of course, a staple of strategy gaming on the PC. So uh, we thought it would be a good opportunity for us to sit down here together and chat about the history of this franchise, uh, its influence on strategy games, and uh, the, the various ups and downs of the uh, series as a whole. Uh, so I guess, you know, to start us off, um, you know, how did, how did each of you come to Civilization? Like, what, like what was your first Civ, uh, you know, before? And did you even have an inkling that you would one day be designers? <laughs> uh, you know, not, not, not only of, of video games, but of Civilization itself. Uh, well, my f- I'm old enough that my first Civ was Civ 1. And I bought it um, literally my first week of college. Um, I was in the, the bookstore. Buying sad my, I know common it's, tale. It's like uh, like almost like a stereotype, but yeah, I was in the book in the bookstore buying my textbooks for my first quarter, and there it was a civilization. And uh, I was like, this looks you know, <laughs> this looks something that's down my alley. I mean, I was already a Sid fan before then. You know, Pirates was one of my favorite games, and I really loved Railroad Tycoon. Um, and these type of games were kind of in the air at the time in that, like, you know, there was SimCity, there was Populous, there was Railroad Tycoon. And, like, the thing that stuck out to me when I first saw Sid Meier's Civilization, it was, I was just like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, I was just like, finally, you know. <laughs> you know I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought before this is what we needed, but, it, like, it totally made sense to me. Like, this is going to be a great game, I bet. And it was. And, you know, I played it, played it a lot my first year. Um, no, I had to uh, dial it down a little bit to keep going, um, but uh, uh, but yeah, I um, you know in college I was I was a computer science major and history major, so you'd think that like you know I would have thought that you know making Civ would have been the perfect job, but you know I mean first of all, just at the time working in the game video games industry was kind of hard to vision. It wasn't it wasn't as big of an industry as it was back then, and then beyond that to actually work on Civ like. You know, until I was, until maybe I was actually starting to look for jobs, like I had no idea where it was made or how you would get a job working on Civ. And I just happened to graduate, like, right when the Civ 3 team basically left. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> they were my, desperate. Yeah, my timing, yeah, they even hired me. My timing, <laughs> my timing was very good. <laughs> for me, it's actually kind of similar, just shifted a little bit. Uh, I actually. My first Civ game was Civ 2, and I received it uh, a pirated version from my history teacher. You monster. <laughs> <laughs> and then I pirated Civ 3, uh, and then I bought Civ 3, and then I made Civ 5. So, you know, I feel like it's evened out over time. Uh, but Didn't play 4. <laughs> Apparently John not. skipped right over that piece of trash. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of a, you know, a blank period of my mind. Uh, no, that's that's actually kind of when I got into working on it. So I stopped playing and I started making it. But um, 
I was also a history and computer science major, um, so maybe there's a pattern there. And from a very young age, I knew I wanted to make games, and I was interested in strategy games, interested in history. So it was always kind of something in the back of my mind, like, I want to do this. I'm, I'm going to do something. And it never really became an option to kind of jump into Civ specifically uh, until Civ four kind of early alpha beta testing. And I uh, pestered Soren so much that he gave in and then finally said, all right, fine, come here, just stop emailing me. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked out all right. Well, John was one of the few testers who was eager enough that he actually started documenting us some of our code. Um, which was, which was highly unusual. It's the only time that's ever happened. Yeah, that was the end. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> that's when he was auditioning to like become a member of, of the team. Like, yeah. and you were like, "Boy, it's, it's gonna be great once he's working here." And then he gets here, and no. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I I showed up and they, um, Moose, who was the lead uh, programmer, Mustafa. Uh, Thamer, he didn't know what to do with me, <laughs> so he was like, "You can keep commenting code." Uh, we have a bright future for you. <laughs> yeah. So in the meantime, I uh, made scenarios and maps and stuff, and then kind of shifted on to the expansions. And so they didn't know what to do with me at first, but I kind of, you know, found my yeah. way to design that way. But but so like Civilization Two was your like that that that's sort of your your first Civ. That's your that's your touchstone. That was my first taste of it. Yeah. Uh, but Civ Three, I think. I started playing literally a month before Civ 3 came out. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as it came out, I'm like, I'm just going to play this instead. Yeah. So uh, my memories of Civ 2 are very, very faint now. Uh, Civ 3 is definitely kind of the formative time yeah. for me. Yeah, so I was, uh, I, was, I was just on a Giant Bomb podcast with Austin Walker talking mm -hmm. about sort of my history with the, with the franchise. And I actually came in probably like, it's a similar situation to you, uh, John. Uh, I came in... At the very tail end of one Civ, and right before the next one came out, for me, the first game was uh, Civ 1, and I'm pretty sure I played a pirated as hell copy, because I don't think Civ 1 was supposed to, like, take place on, like, a black starfield, like, <laughs> tile set with, like, detailed tiles, but all, all the colors were kind of jacked up and, and wrong, uh, but that was kind of how I played a lot of, of Civilization 1. Wow, so you had a low rent. Pirated version. Yeah, it wasn't like it, it wasn't <laughs> super. nice pirated version. No, no, it works correctly. Yeah, no, this was this, this was like somebody just like copy pasted a bunch of like like most not all of the files for Civ like on a <laughs> floppy and was just like yeah just put this in your computer and make it happen. Uh, but I played I I got into that and the the funny thing is uh, and I apologize if you if you heard me talk about this on on Giant Bomb, uh, I was really resistant to the idea of Civ just because of the name. Because I was a war gamer, oh. like civilization oh. is not make exciting. Sense like who wants who wants civilization? Like I want to destroy civilization, uh, and, and then it turns out that's actually what civilization is about. Uh, that and magic phalanxes uh, having superpowers well into the jet age. Uh, but but then Civ two came out, and I remember uh, I played just enough of Civ one to sort of internalize its concepts. And my cousin uh, lent me his copy, and uh, I. I, I didn't I didn't steal it so much as if you did a full install you could play the game perfectly sure. well without uh <laughs> you just missed out on the cutscenes but I remember when I, when I was when I was when my cousin was trying to figure that game out uh, and God forbid anyone read a manual uh, I you know I, I blew his mind and I was like no here's how you solve disorder in your cities you have to recruit Elvises. Uh, and that was kind of that's kind of how I understood the game like civilization was a game where like you built armies. 
and then your populations would get unhappy, and then you made Elvis characters in your city, and eventually things would be cool, but then your city would mysteriously become less productive, <laughs> and you'd fall behind. So my, 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 early, my, my early entry into civilization was, was an awful lot of um, misapplying half-understood concepts, yeah. and, and really I probably haven't gotten beyond well, the that. First, the first couple civs had a couple really strange rules, like if you look at them, about how... Uh, like I believe, like the settlers, or well, there was just there wasn't settlers and workers, right? There was just settlers, whatever they were called, and they were um, they were tied to cities, right? And I think they continually each Support, consumed yeah. two food, and so like if you didn't pay attention to that, like you could like build too many of them and not realize why like your city is no longer growing. Like it was like a extremely hidden mechanic, right? Um, I think you also see a situation where you built a like built a settler in a city and it took away population. I think it didn't necessarily warn you. I think you'd actually accidentally delete your city. I think like <laughs> if you build a settler just at the wrong time and like there was this line like all the zones of control that was in like the was it in the second one? I mean, it was definitely the yes. Oh, it was definitely in the second one because the second one would make that little like noise every time you tried to do something. It was like an infuriating noise. War gamer Rob, this clearly left a mark on. Yeah, yeah it's like I just want to get the I just want to get this this like yeah. this partisan. Well, the People, partisans could bypass zones of control, but other units couldn't. Yeah, well, you want to end. Um, it's funny how, like, when, when Borders came into Civ 3, the, the first instant reaction people were not like, oh, Borders, great, that just, you know, that seems like it's, you know, it's a nice historical thing, it, it fits it, but most people are like, oh, great, now the AI won't park their units next to my city and, like, lock me down with their zones of control, right? Like, which was, like, this totally stupid thing that shouldn't have happened in the first place. And, like, you know, this is the solution for it, is, like, borders. In, instead, they would just march dudes through your borders to the other side, build cities there, <laughs> which was, you know... <laughs> Not much of an improvement. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, the, so this is that's something worth bringing. Only up here. if you gave them a right of way agreement. So that's your offer. Or is that well, true? No, I don't, no, I don't even remember. Talk, no, no, they would just walk through. the zone of control. It was only in Civ Four that you ha that you had to declare war to enter borders. In Civ Three, you could just walk through. There weren't any. There weren't any. Uh, Wait, right what? Of passage. Wait, right of passage. I would have sworn. Right, I would have sworn right of passage existed for Alpha Centauri. No, definitely not enough. Okay. You could you could ask basically like it was it was taken over by some of the diplomacy. Okay. Like you could basically call someone up and tell them you gotta get your troops out of my territory, mm -hmm. and then I yeah. think you could like insist on it, which might lead to war, and then it was up to up to them to get out. And yeah, Civ three was the same. Civ three was the same. It wasn't mm -hmm. right. Now. I know it's <laughs> all right. So you're blocking that one out. I'm blocking that one out. So we did we didn't <laughs> fix that problem. It wasn't until Civ four uh, because like I don't think I I don't think I I internalized that yet from the community that this was like. Such a big issue, and yeah, that's right. With Civ Four, it was that next level. Like, Remember oh my gosh, my borders, <laughs> my borders actually mean something, right? Like, you know, like I can when I once I plop down the city, it's like I'm locking the other people out. Um, and of course, what that just meant is that people would then like settle super aggressively around the AI to essentially like box them into another part of land. And anyway, that's that's life as a Civ designer. Like, whatever you do, like people just figure out the most annoying way to use it you know, inside <laughs> of the game itself. In some of those early civs, like, are you ever nostalgic for some of the clunkier aspects of it? Like, okay, so the borders thing is a good example. I remember because nobody really understood, like, because the game didn't really have the concept of territory, it just had city zone of control, yeah. uh, and you didn't have sort of a national territory that you could claim, uh, it led to a lot of situations where you and another empire would have this really porous intermingled frontier. Mm -hmm. uh, like the and, cities could actually overlap their tiles. Yeah, it's like whoever was last to work it was the one who owned it. Yeah, like kind so of like real life. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you switched your production off of like a, a tile you both shared, next turn the AI might grab that tile and then like you can't get it anymore. And yeah, it's but pretty I, weird. It is weird, but at the same time, <laughs> I kind of like I sometimes I look back fondly on a lot of the wars that would crop up in those early games because they started from these really bizarre positions that you don't find in later civilizations, right? Like you you you'd sort of like your first move in these wars would have to be like almost this like night of the long knives like slaughter of all the intermingled uh, territories you had before <laughs> the real war could begin. Uh, it was kind of it was kind of cool. It made for this interesting like you couldn't you couldn't just bring all your forces to the border and like launch the attack. You really had to think about the fact that you had all these cities that were sort of like parked next to each other and could conceivably become these huge like thorns in your side. Yeah, I mean it's. It's kind of something from history where you have cultures intermingling and you have kind of these zones where nobody is really in control or it's contested. And, you know, once you start adding rules to a game like Civ, you kind of cut out some of that stuff. Of course, the AI didn't really understand it anyway, so it's definitely a mixed bag. But, yeah, in, in some ways you do, you do kind of lose some things like that as you make the game better in, in a lot of other ways. So it's, it's a tough trade-off, but a lot of times you just got to make it because yeah. <laughs> Some things are just too frustrating for too long for too many people. So, Soren, I'm I, I'm curious if you can if you can finally talk about this a, a little bit now. It's, I, enough time has, has passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've 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 been in therapy. You've come <laughs> to grips with it. Uh, Civilization three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were kind of just dropped into the deep end of the pool for that one, right? right. Like that yeah. was that was not a that that was not a smooth that was not a smooth project. Right. Uh, and I'm curious, like, how did it, how did it all break down? Yeah. So when we came and on, how did you, how did you of all people end up becoming the guy to like be the closer on it? Uh, well, I mean, it, <laughs> a series of tragedies, a series of crazy. I mean, so for background for this is going to be kind of ancient history for probably some of, some of the, our listeners. So, um, big, huge games was, is Brian Reynolds company, which he, which split off from Firaxis in late 1999. Uh, in fact, when I got there, there were still a couple stragglers of people who eventually would join Big Huge, but were still with Fraxis at that point, so it was kind of in that transition period. But he had basically taken the whole engineering team with him. Um, and you weren't necessarily talking about a lot of people, because you know the projects were still pretty small back then. But um, like when I, when I got there, really the only programmers around from before was, were the sound programmer, uh, who is now the tech director, and the guy who was the intern on Alpha Centauri, who was now the lead programmer, like <laughs> that, you know. So you know, you had some, you know, basically some serious battlefield promotions going on, you know, within within the company. Um, and um, yeah, I was like, you know, the new guy hired to make the game work. I mean, I think they hired me, sort of like because I had a bit of an AI background. Um, and so that was theoretically where I was going to start on it. Um, and uh, I know Jake was hired. Jake Solomon was hired to work on some of the graphic stuff. Um, and like, you know, like we literally met like in the elevator in like our first week, you know. Like, yeah. Okay. Let's, you know, like, let's make Civ 3. You, yeah, basically. Oh, so, so Jake Solomon's been that for access for Yeah, that for we, that we, well. we were hired like the exact same week. Like, um, yeah, he was hired in that same, in that same. He seems so much younger. I don't know how to interpret that. I mean, he, he is, he is younger than me because I went to grad school. Um, okay. And so he's probably a couple years younger than me, but, but, um, 
I'll take your comment into consideration. <laughs> um, probably the beard. Like Jake has a beard. Does he have a beard? No. No. No, Jake doesn't have a beard. Um, <laughs> um, so, at any rate, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, we were like new guy. There was one other guy, a guy named Mike Breckrates, who had had some industry experience, but not certainly not on a, a game like Civ. And so, yeah, we were just trying to figure out. It was pretty weird. How much, how much was done? Like, was is, was Civilization so, three three a, a Brian Reynolds design with like finishing touches by no, Soren Johnson? No. no, no. I mean, Brian Brian was not not very involved. Okay. Uh, uh, what what I when I got there, what there was is was there was this prototype that basically was Alpha Centauri with like Civ two graphics like pasted into them, right? Mm-hmm. Like they basically taken out the old voxels that you saw in Alpha Centauri and stuck like Civ two sprites, right? And like renamed renamed the units. So the uh, what's the unit called? What's the worker in the uh, Alpha Centauri? Former. Former. Yeah. So the former was called the settler and whatnot. And there was some. <laughs> there was some. Uh, there was some. Uh, you know, there was some early, some of the early ideas that made it to the when the game ship were there. Like there were unique units. There was that concept in the game. But there was there was no there was definitely no resources. There was no culture. There was no uh, bargaining table. Um, there might have been borders because it was inherited from Alpha oh, Centauri. Yeah. But but I mean the game was just not there. Like it was Alpha Centauri, yeah. right? With like some Civ stuff because you know that was just basically all they had done. And most and most of the people who were sort of ostensibly working on it knew that they were about to leave to make Rise of Nations, right? So. So there wasn't much work done. So it's like not we a very passionate uh, <laughs> bit of work there. Yeah. So it's like you know we had basically inherited this code base that um, no one in the company, n- none of us, none of the new guys were familiar with, and we're trying to like figure out how to how to make it work. And I would say that Brian's programming style is a bit like Sid's programming style, which is it's a little it's a little archaic. Like it's not it uses it uses a lot of macros. Um, it's, not very object oriented. No, no, and so it's 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 like if you know how to use it, like if you're like versed in that style of programming, like you can you can do fine with this. But none of us were. So really, like the first my first six months, I was a lot. I feel like I actually spent as much time deleting code as I sp- spent writing code because like early on, I was like like this is this is like a problem. Like we don't. We don't know, like, we don't know this code. We don't know how to make this into a game. Like, I got to rip out all the stuff that we don't understand before we can start rebuilding it, right? Um, And uh, Jeff Briggs was an important person early on in the the game. He was one of, in this process, he was one of the other, Sid, Brian, and Jeff were the three owners of Fraxis. And so after Brian left, I think Jeff kind of stepped in and did some of the initial design. Or Civ three. So a lot of the stuff I implemented early on was stuff that came from him. Um, but eventually, once once I had been there for you know maybe six months or so, at that point he started to trust me, and at that point it was more like, well, I want to do something with culture, see what you can do, right? And so that's when I started thinking, you know, that's when I started designing the culture system that you know is basically still you know in the Civ series now, you know, which is like you know you depend upon you know, whatever buildings you make, you start creating this culture, there's these thresholds, it's tied to board. Like, that's, this is an important thing, it was tying it to borders, because I was like, okay, like, we knew we were gonna have borders because that worked in Alcantari, but like, if I tie culture to borders, then it has some bite, right? Like, there's, there's like, a part of it that works. And I remember there was, it was really contentious, this idea of like, could you work a tile that was outside of your city borders? 
Because when you first found a city in Civ 3, you just get those eight tiles that's around you, right? You have to hit that threshold of 10 culture before you get what we call the fat X, you know, the, the classic 21 tiles. And um, like, I was very, I was very resolute that like, in order for culture to matter, like that has to be a thing, right? Like until you actually invest in culture, you're going to be just stuck with working the eight tiles around your, around your city. Um, and, but yeah, early on, there was this phase where you, the, the, the border was there, but you could actually work tiles that was like outside your city. Right. Um, so yeah, these were the type of things that we were, we were trying to figure out. And at the same time, you know, we were learning how to work together as, as a team. And, you know, I mean, we didn't, we didn't necessarily have a good testing system or a good feedback system, or, um, you know, I was doing all this and also, you know, also writing the AI, um, and at the same time, Jake was waging a battle over um, trying to make the game look look modern, right? Like there's like a classic story he he'll tell from this period is that um, they didn't they didn't believe that you could have multiple units animating on the screen at the same time, right? Um, for whatever reason, I don't know. <laughs> and basically, it's like they they we played a lot of Age of Empires, and that was like, look, this game has like it's in real time. There's like hundreds of units running around, and so. You know, they were able to like, you know, he was able to make make that system work because the, you know the Civ three looks significantly different from Civ two. You know, I mean, Civ two is is kind of from that, you know, traditional, just like everything is very, very grid based, very two D, very static, right? And you know, we wanted to move that forward with Civ three. So, so there was a lot that was going on, and the whole process from when I joined to when we ship was about eighteen months. Um, and uh yeah it was it was kind of rough i think i think civ 3 is a pretty interesting product because um civ now it just seems like this this like i don't know battleship or like what's juggernaut. Right, juggernaut in the strategy space it's like it's one of the, the the pillars of the entire genre right but like i definitely see like an alternate world where civ 3 crashed and burned right like uh, it, it was interesting that while we were making Civ three, like we we were consistently getting worse press than Masters of Orion three was getting because they were coming out the same, basically around the same time as, as they as as we did, um, and you know so we were all you know they were kind of like the other kind of major strategy game we we're looking at at the same time, and um, I guess it kind of goes without saying that they didn't they didn't become the franchise you know that that, that Civ did. The story's not over yet. Yeah, so. I know. I know. <laughs> It's coming back. To be continued. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure if, if Civ crashed and burned, eventually it would have been well, reborn. There was an interesting context around Civ 3, too. Like, because wasn't that also when you had a competing yes. Civ? You had Call the, the power. Yes. Call the Power, and there was an entire, like, who actually owns civilization, who has right. the right to make the, make the next entry. And I think, I remember for a while, it didn't seem like Firaxis had the inside track. It seemed like they, they, they didn't have Civ. Well, there was a bunch of things going on. So basically, Activision, through kind of like some strange stuff, I mean, I can give you the details. Like, so Civilization was a board game, right? And when Microprose made Civilization, they got, they, they had a legal agreement with Avalon Hill for the rights to use the name for a, a video game. Is there any similarity between the board game and, and the computer game? You know, it like, seems like it, it keeps going back. And I've talked to Sid about this directly. And he says he's not very heavily influenced by it. However, he was also working with Bruce Shelley, who for sure... <laughs> you know, had played plenty of played of there. I mean, he worked at Avalon Hill, right? Um, and uh, so I, I have a feeling like some stuff probably crept in from that. Yeah. Really, if you look at the board game though, it's it's very limited to just that Mediterranean period. It's just the early, you know, it's ancient history. But there are some like echoes of the tech tree, 
right? There is that concept like here's these technologies and if you get this technology, it'll be easier to discover this technology. And so, um, but he's since never said that he's gotten the tech tree from, from the board game. So yeah, I, I don't know, you know. <laughs> but so, so because there was this but, so board they, game that they, 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 they Microbase had an agreement with uh, Avalon Hill for rights to use the name. However, uh, and I hope I get this all right, but at some point in the 80s, another company got the rights to do a digital version of Civilization. Of the, of board, the game. board game. A digital version of Civilization, right? So they weren't licensing the rights, they were licensing the game. Yeah. And I think that maybe either didn't happen or it just wasn't a big success or whatever. But there was this contract out there floating around that was like, if you have this contract, you can make a video game called Civilization, which is based on the board game, right? And the blah, blah, blah. But at any rate, Activision found that and figured that out. And they immediately pounced on it and they bought the rights to that license. So then they suddenly legally had a right to make a, board, a video game called Civilization, even though, like, technically speaking, it's an adaptation of the board game. So, oh, not really. Well, <laughs> yes. And Call of Power so, did not have much in common with, with the board, board game. game. Yeah, it had a lot more in common with Civilization than the video game, which is, I think, why then there was a big, there was a big lawsuit. And I think that's why the eventual agreement in the lawsuit was, okay, we're, you can make one game that's called Civilization, but the next one will not. And that's why it was Civilization Call to Power, and the sequel was called Call to Power 2. The sequel never had the name Civilization. And the sequel sold like a tenth of what the original did. Right. Um, so, you know, partly because you know, people were never super happy with Call to Power, and partly because it just didn't have the Civilization name. Um, so, Yeah. So that's the long answer to that question. Yes. But, but yeah, as Call to Power had already come out when we were making Civ 3, and I looked at Call to Power, I had issues with the, the interface, so I never really got into it too deep. And I, I, knew, I knew I didn't want to do the kind of stack combat thing they did. Um, but however, the one thing that Call to Power did really well, which did inspire us, was it had a really vibrant modding scene. Like they had put a lot of effort into, um, you know, letting people do all sorts of cool things modding Call to Power. And so, you know, we pushed that in Civ 3. We we didn't go as far as we could have because we just literally ran out, you know, didn't, didn't have that much time. But we did make it so, like, basically everything in the game, nothing in the game was hard-coded, right? Even from the perspective of the AI. Like, the AI had no concept of what a temple was or what a spearman was or whatever. So um, you could add as many different units and buildings and technologies as you want into the game. And so that, those were the type of mods we got where people, like, really, really expanded the game and... I mean, I first the first time I really noticed John was when he made a he made a civilization. Oh no, he made a civil war mod for for Civ, for Civ three, I believe. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was the first person that started modding Civ three basically because I was chomping at the bit. Because you guys, uh, when you released the game, you didn't release the uh, editor yet. Oh right. Yeah. So there was a delay there, and I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go. And then it finally came out and. At that point, all you could do was make maps with it. You couldn't actually put units and things. Mm -hmm. So I started making a bunch of maps. Then it got upgraded with the ability to put other things on there. And then I started doing that. So I was, in some ways, kind of like the first person on the scene. Yeah. yeah. Which and, I guess is kind of fitting. Yeah. We, we, had a, we had a very complex editor for, for Civ 3 that lets you go through all the different types of things. Every, like, there was a unit page which had a bunch of pull downs and buttons and boxes so you could, like, customize the unit. And, like, there was a really fast lesson we learned from that, which was like, that was a really bad idea. Um, like it was, because the problem was it was a production bottleneck. Like every time we added the new, like let's say you wanted to add invisibility to units, right? It's a Boolean, right? Should be very simple, but that means if you want to integrate that to the editor, someone's gonna have to open up the editor to code and add a new box somewhere. And one of the things 
I think it was the building tab, like literally ran out of space. I think we had to add a second building tab or something like that, like when you wanted a building, like yeah, this is the auxiliary building tab, right? <laughs> so that's why now when you mod Civ, it's just all in XML, right? Because like XML is just a format, right? You know, you can just extend it as much as you want to. There are a lot of off the shelf, you know, XML editors. We don't have to write the editor, um, so on and so forth. Um, I should mention though, before we finish with the Civ 3 is that um, when Civ 3 came out, um, you know, you know, I, I said like, you know, I was, I was learning on the job, but that didn't mean I actually learned everything I needed to learn before we released the game. Um, that was just, the first part of the process was just like figuring out how to like get the game out the door and like, you know, come up with some stuff that made the game worthy enough to be a sequel, right? Like, um, I think I mentioned before, I mean, probably the, the, the biggest things that like echoed the rest of the series were like resources, culture, and the, the bargaining table. Uh, and we should probably talk about that as well, because that's another interesting thing that as, um, like that's that's the first thing I designed that I then saw lots of other places, because that really just became like a standard for like how diplomacy works in um, 4X games. And I think I have kind of grave doubts about whether that's a good idea at all. <laughs> like, I think that's, that's sort of one of those like unit workshop things. It's like maybe it was not a change for the better in yeah. the long term. But anyway, let me... So when I um, so when Civ three shipped, there were lots of problems with that game. Um, not necessarily like pure bugs, more like we had no idea what the ramifications of a lot of our decisions were. Um, and actually, if I think about, it, I think a lot of these problems were stuff that was similar to stuff that was in, in Civ one and Civ two. It was just that in the days before the internet, like the the like major issues with the game wouldn't like spread the same way. You know, and like once you became aware of a problem, it's like you couldn't look away from it, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, because I mean, there's plenty of people I met who like, you know, got like the original version of Civ three, and they never really connected with the community, and they were always like perfectly happy with the game, right? But like for a lot of people, like what they remember is stuff like, um, like the uh, very high corruptions levels of of the original that you know I had. You, you're always chasing this issue of uh, ICS, which is Infinite City Sleaze. And this is like basically this um, uh, what's the right term for it? Like exploit or like uh, yeah dege degenerate strategy that was in Civ One, Civ Two, which is basically like you just build you would build like a city every other tile, right? And this is something that stock has stalked the series for every iteration of like you know how do you make a game an expansion without at the same time rewarding people for you know the the right choice should always be build another city. Right, yeah. uh, and Civ One, Civ Two, like that was clearly, like technically speaking, that's the right choice. Just always build another city; it'll always be better. Um, and so, in Civ Three, my solution to that was like, well, we'll just have corruption. Like, once you cross a certain threshold, like your cities will have um, like ninety percent corruption, right? The, the equivalent amount of waste, which means like they'll basically be producing, you know, almost no, almost no money and almost no what we called shields back then, um, and uh, production. production, yeah. And so that, and that was like something that people were, were very, very upset about. Well, it didn't um, do anything. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, you know, they're finding the cities, they weren't, weren't doing anything for me. And then there would be stuff like, um, uh, you know, like tech, tech whoring, basically, is what people called it, which was this thing <laughs> the AI did where it's like, because there was a bargaining table, you can now check trade technologies yeah. at any time, right? And um, 
So if the human can do it, well, the AI should do it too, right? And like the issue with training technologies is, and this goes back to why the bargaining table is really problematic, is when you're training away a technology, you're not really giving away anything. So there's no real downside to like training technology with someone else, right? I mean, the downside is you're helping out an opponent, but if they're helping you out, probably it makes sense, right? It's how trade works in the real world. Well, I mean, no, but in the real world, you are shipping something to somewhere else. You right. are giving something, like you're literally giving nothing away. Yeah, it's not right? literally exactly the same, but the idea is, yeah, yeah, you get something in return for something. Yeah, and so what would happen is, you know, so the AI was taking advantage of that, but to the human, for the human, it just looked like every time they talked to the AI, they uh, had already traded as all their technologies with everyone else. So they, it looked like they all had the same technology level, right? So it felt like the AI was cheating, right? Or or was basically playing a certain game, like, you know, was like not including the human in their little cartel, right? And the human could do it, but like the only way to like keep up was like you literally have to contact the AI every turn. Every AI, sure. every turn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, see, John was on the other side of the fence here, right? Like he was part of the community, so we saw all this stuff firsthand, right? Yeah. And so, you know, this was just like whenever people ask me about how you become a game designer, this is that process I always talk about for me. Like I became a game designer not from the development of Civ three, but from the six months afterwards seeing the results of the decisions that we made, like the ramifications and like actually working with the community to figure out how to solve this stuff and how to like keep, you know, the core of the idea. Like a lot of these things like had, like there was a kernel of a good idea here. It's just, we didn't, we didn't execute. We didn't take it where it needed to be. Um, so there were some, so it was 18 months to work on, on Civ 3, but it was really 24 months or, or even more. Like I was, you know, I just, kept working on it after we shipped, you know, like there were four major patches for, for Civ 3 because kind of like back in the day, that's just what you got. Like you only got so many shots at it, but like I spent, put a lot of time into making sure that like the game got to a really, a really good state. And, and I believe that like actually the ideal version of Civ 3 is the, the fully patched version of the base game. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I'd say Warlords. I think Warlords was pretty good. Like I was, I was pretty much happy. I was pretty happy with it because they didn't, they didn't change the game a whole lot. I think Warlords is Civ 4. Shoot, what's the one? Play the war. Play the war. Oh, jeez. I've just erased those words from my head. Okay. The single player, the fully patched single player version of Play the World is like the ideal. And then the, the ideal second expansion was of, Conquest. Uh, the second, I know, the last expansion was Conquest. Which <laughs> was, sure. yeah, Conquest was, um, they, they added a whole lot of, of stuff to Civ 3. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're going to get into that, I think. Yeah. So, at any rate, we're already talking about it. <laughs> so, before we get before we get into uh, the, the before we get to Civ Five, we, we do have to have you talk a little more, Soren. Okay. <laughs> uh, about well, because this is okay. So here's the here's the thing, like Civ Four, I think is kind of regarded as uh, sort of the apotheosis of like the classic approach to a civilization game. Like right. you can draw, you, I think you can draw a clearer line from like Civ One, Civ Two to Civ Four than you can from those games to Civ Five. I would argue. Uh, even though you can draw a pretty uh, clear line between Civ Four and Civ Five, but the 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 thing is, so like when it when it came time now to to sort of uh, make a new civilization game with maybe a slightly less chaotic development process, uh, and you and you'd gone through those lessons learned, uh, what were what were the priorities heading into Civilization Four? Yeah, well, so for me, Civilization Three and Civilization Four are very closely linked. Right? Like almost everything I did in Civ Four was a reaction to the pluses or more more often the minuses of the Civ Three development process, um, and so 
Um, like, I feel like I'm really lucky that things worked out. I think the ideal way to design a Civ game is kind of get to get parachuted, and to some extent this happened with John, is to get parachuted into one of the, one of the uh, versions of the franchise, to get, get parachuted into one of the iterations so that you, you, go, you, know, you experience what it's like to make a Civ game, um, but you don't necessarily do it from the very beginning. Right, because I think if you do it from the very beginning, I think it'd be very hard to make two full versions of Civ without totally burning yourself out. Right, like with Civ three, I was kind of lucky that I didn't have that uh, pre-production period, you know, that you normally get in a game. Uh, first of all, I wouldn't, I would have been too young. I wouldn't necessarily have even known what to do with it. Um, you know, instead it was like we just started digging right away with Civ three. Right, um, so. So what that meant is when it came time to do Civ Four, I was like, okay, I am ready, right? Like I was ready to make this game. I've like I've learned a lot of stuff about Civ, and like I'm, you know, it was me and uh, my business partner here at Mohawk, Dorian, Dorian Newcomb. Like we were we were the two guys. I was the programmer and he was the artist, and you know we just started making that prototype. Um, and um, the uh, you know, it, it allowed us to make some sort of interesting choices early on that you maybe wouldn't have done with a with the Civ series. I mean, first of all, like we were, we started the like we started the project from scratch, right? We're like we're just going to create a completely new project. Um, you know, not take over. I think I, maybe I borrowed like the fractal class from Civ three just because like you know it was like it's like you know the random maps work pretty well and like you know get, get a little head start. But you know everything else was kind of started again was started from scratch. You know, which is very different from Civ three, where we were like mangling the Alice Centauri code base into Civ three. Um, but what that meant is that none of the old assumptions from Civ one through three came into the game. Um, so it's interesting the way you phrase it, where you like you see it as like the, you know, I don't know the a through line. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, clearly, like it was, it was that was true because I was very familiar with 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 Civ one, less so with Civ two. I was very familiar with Civ one and Civ three. Like those were games that, like you know, I knew all about. So I knew I knew their plot. I knew what was good about them. And I knew it was bad about them. So there was, yeah, there was a ton of stuff, you know, like uh, you know, corruption and waste and pollution, and um, you know, like uh, uh, the way cities, the way city work when you like, when you build a settler, it doesn't take away a population point from your city. Like these are just these tiny details, but there's a whole bunch of other ones. Uh, the way the the workers, like when you move a worker, you can move the worker and you can build something on the same turn. You know, just just stuff like that. There was, you know, a ton of these things that you know I I I only put the stuff in the game if I thought it made sense. So there was there was a bunch of stuff that got you know left out and simplified, um, and I was just I was I spent a ton. A lot of time thinking very hard about like how people actually play the game, right? Um, so like a good example of that is um, overflow, right? Like when you're when you're building something, <laughs> John's shaking his head, nodding his head. Um, <laughs> is that like let's say you're building, let's say your city produces three production a turn, okay. right? And you're building a temple. Temple costs ten, right? So three, six, yeah. nine. Okay, great. I'm gonna produce three. But I only need one more. So I really don't need three production this turn, right? Yeah. So I really want to optimize my city. What I would do is I go in, rearrange my, my workers, uh, my citizens. And get like one turn with yeah, a little extra get, money and less production. Exactly. Exactly. And this is the thing about Civ. Like if it's possible, 
that's how people are going to play. Like, oh, that sounds if, miserable. Yeah, well, it yeah. was that way for 15 years. It was that way for 15 years. <laughs> I can't fathom uh, why it wasn't and, changed earlier. You know, I mean, the community complained about it. until And until I had released a game, like, I didn't necessarily... I don't know how... Se- I, I'm sure I took the community seriously, but I didn't take them seriously enough until after Civ 3 came out. So, you know, with Civ 4, I was like, I am going to solve all the problems. Right? Because we're starting this from scratch. I'm going to solve all the problems. Right? That was, that was my goal. So... You know, with overflow, with with well, it became over overflow was the solution. It was that okay. Um, now um, you you still produce three, right? You got nine production. You need one more. If you produce three, what happens is those extra two they get automatically applied to whatever you build next. In other words, it it works like you would expect it to work now. Finally. Well, I don't think someone would expect that. Well, you're like you're you're it's, producing it's, a certain amount per turn. It's what you're kinda... what you're doing is you're not punishing someone for not paying attention, right? Um, and technically speaking, like there's still sort of situations where it might make sense to micromanage a little bit, but like it took care of you know like ninety ninety five percent of like of like the issues, you know. Um, and just just clean up all these other weird things, like you know, like this thing, like let's say you're you you've completed ninety percent of the pyramids. In the old sub games, you could actually decide. I'm just, you know what? I'm going to do the. I'm going to make the hand guards instead, and like it would just suddenly, you know, you were now ninety percent of the way to hand guards. Like, you know, I just took that simple next step of like, well, we'll just let's just remember what you were working on, and we'll we'll preserve the production, right? And like that worked totally fine. Um, so, like, you know, with with Civ Four, you know, a lot of people think of are like the promotions on units or the great people or the religion but like what i think about is like all of this like core reworking of the base systems to like preserve what preserve what work but take all of the like the little little traps and the weird things yeah all the stuff that would like like in, you know encouraging people to play the game in a way that's not actually fun right um and um and you know beyond that like things with like with like the workers i think like we made a huge improvement in like ac- giving you actual things to think about with your workers, you know, in Civ 4. Like, it, like, in the previous ones, it was literally, I think it was just, like, mines and farms, right? And, like, that was pretty much all you could do. Like, whereas, that was about it. Yeah. Whereas, in, in, you know, like... Roads. Yeah, roads. Which, well, yeah, eh, roads. Anyway, and... Um, <laughs> and then they became railroads. <laughs> right, yes, it's very... Magical. <laughs> there was not a ton of thought put into the end game. Yeah. But even something as simple as like the cottages that you could build in Civ Four, right? That made a huge difference because yeah. now you could like you had this long-term investment thing. You had a very different way to like arrange a city, um, and terrain mattered a lot more, right? There was like I think the um, you know, like deserts and tundra I think were basically worthless in Civ Four, uh, which I thought was good. Like you want more extremes, right? And um, you know, uh, you know, there's there's just a lot of different th- interesting things. You workers or the specialist economy was a lot more interesting because it contributed to great people um so you know it's like i kind of like i wanted each element of the game to actually you know be 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 worth something and like be continually interesting so um that's 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 how i approached it from the beginning so with with civilization 4 you start to see uh a little more emphasis on or i didn't play much civilization 3 so maybe you're already starting to work on this Mm -hmm. uh Possibly a problem. I'm not entirely sure it is, but by Civilization Four, you're starting to cut against the idea that the right answer is always to build another city. Right. Uh, that like you get more now. There's rewards for running a small empire. Um, I think you get the cultural, you get culture bonuses, right? If if your empire's small and so forth, 
Uh, I remember. I, I remember. Like, not you didn't want to run too many cities. national wonders that you could build if you had fewer cities because you could. You needed certain building in all your cities, and then you could build something else. And if you had fewer cities, then that was yeah. easier. So that's kind of yeah. Was that the only limitation? There wasn't. There wasn't much in there that was explicitly okay. a benefit. For that's being about smaller. it. <laughs> like the main issue. So right. So I had to figure out what to do with corruption. Right. Like I was like, okay, maybe I can make corruption work. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna throw it out and try something different. Right. And the the thing that was different was maintenance. Right. Like that was that was the thing that we did instead which was basically a tax on your cities. Um, and kind of on the surface, it doesn't look that much different, right? But first of all, we're not, we're not taking away the stuff your city is making, right? You, you found a city, whatever, whatever produces, you get that, right? No. The issue might be that if you found too many cities, um, your maintenance bills get so high that you might be running a deficit, right? Um, and maintenance scale to things like the number of cities you have overall in your empire, um, the distance from the, your capital, um, and uh, but the main idea was that if you that there was a sort of a ban, right, of like number of turns and number of cities you could have, which is that um, you could expand quickly if you wanted to. We're not going to stop you from doing that, but you're going to, um, you know, you're going to have to run a deficit for a while. So once you get a certain point. You, you have a decision of, yes, I could found another city, but what I know that what that is, is that's a long-term investment, right? Like my seventh and eighth cities, you know, if I'm early enough in the game, um, is going to, um, you know, is going to cost me. So maybe it's worthwhile because I want to grab that territory there, or maybe it's not worthwhile because I'd rather, I'd rather have a better source. I'd rather have, rather, rather have a better gold supply, right? Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that worked pretty well. Like, I mean, I, a lot of people in our community were like just basically openly um, uh, uh, sus suspicious, and that's right, uh, doubtful. They, they just didn't believe that we could solve the ICS problem. That like that incredulous. Yeah, incredulous. There you go. That's a very good word for it. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of did. I think I think Sifor like was was in that that good sweet spot where um, you know you wanted to expand. But there was there was actually a reason not to expand, and that's all I really wanted. I just wanted it so that the right choice was just not to always build another cellar. Because I remember from playing Civ myself, like just being in a situation like, what should I build? I was build another cellar, right? Like it was like I was almost I almost had to oftentimes convince myself not to build a cellar. I was like, it's so boring to build another cellar and just build another city. Like you know, I should try something different. And like I was like, okay, we're gonna try to we're gonna try to make the game so. Like it absolutely is not always the right choice to build another settler, um, but I didn't. I don't think there was anything in there that was like sort of explicitly like you want to, you know, if you only have three cities, then you get this, this specific bonus or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, I like three cities might just be sticking out in my head because when I was doing culture well, victories, the, the, I the culture just stop yes. at three. And, well, that's what you needed. The culture victory yeah. in Civ Four was three cities, fifty uh, fifty thousand culture in each one. I think which. It's sort of a, like I mean, if if you know you're going for a culture victory, like you, then it, it does make sense to like put as much into yeah. those three cities as possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's yeah, that, yeah, that's just a one play. And, and we also we had like the one city challenge as a as a game option. Like you know, we knew people were interested in trying that out, and so we're like, that's fine. You know, like I think there's there's so many different ways to play Civ that I'm I'm I've always been very comfortable with see, seeing people try these all these weird bizarre variants. 
Um, so we had the one state challenge. I think we also had all this war in there, which is a, a variant that I saw people play in. These are all things I saw people play in the yeah. three community. And all this war is just means every time you meet a civ, you declare war immediately and you never make peace, right? Like that's that's you know one way people would play play civ three. Um, so like I think it's neat to want to make that stuff legitimate so that. Uh, people on the forums can compare. They they know like this is a mode, and we're the people over here talking about this mode and comparing strategies, and you know we're just this other way of playing. So, so John, it's with Civilization Four that you start your work as a Civ designer, correct? Yeah, mm -hmm. and the expansions kind of shifted over into the design side from commenting code. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so talk me through a little bit like your experience coming on board now as a designer of civilization and building expansions for a game that I seem to remember people being pretty happy with, you know, out of the box. Uh, so like what, you know, at, at that point you're, you know, this is your free, you're, you've sort of been recruited from the modding community, uh, but now also you have to create uh, fresh, good additions to a game that was already kind of tightly sealed. Yeah, so I wasn't I wasn't actually the designer for Warlords, the first expansion. That was uh, Alex Mensaris. And then on uh, the second expansion, uh, we were co-leads. Um, and with an expansion, expansions are a funny topic or a funny thing um, because community always loves expansions. Like, that is... You know, the, the commonly accepted best version of any game, especially any Civ game, tends to be whatever the last expansion was that was released. And Sora and I don't necessarily always agree with that, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, so coming on to the expansions, like, you, you usually didn't have, um, like, an enormous scope. You always kind of had a couple things you're like, okay, well, what's the big feature going to be, or the big two features, like... You know, espionage always tends to end up being one of them, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just convinced now it should not be done. Yeah, I kind of wished it. I kind of wished it out of Civ Four. I mean, it was very, very small for It's like the work the unit workshop from Alcatraz. It, it just keeps coming back, though. Yeah, the, the real problem is, is it comes at the end of the game, right? Like theoretically, you could come up with a good espionage system. But it's just so hard to design anything that's relevant. You know, like air, like aircraft, air, air units, and Civ. You know, any, anything that's only going to be played after 10, only being used after the 10 hour mark. Like, how do you iterate on that stuff? Anyway, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, it also doesn't even just, it's just hard as part of the development process to figure out how that fits into the rest of the game. Because civilization, you know, people play civilization, enjoy civilization because of everything that happens up until medieval, <laughs> you know, maybe Renaissance. But then once you get to the industrial era, things are just kind of like, eh, maybe I'll start a new game. Um, you know, you get all these things could like... We suggest, could we suggest restarting? Would you consider that? <laughs> Save yourself a slog? Well, okay, do you always feel, like, do you feel that's endemic to civilization as a concept? I think probably, yeah. The, the scope is just, it's basically two different games almost. See, because here's where I, I just think you guys broke it. Uh, no, so... No, because like Civilization Two, because that is fundamentally a game about like just go ahead, grow that empire, live large. Uh, you had room for like Civilization. I guess it turned into a admittedly kind of fussy, but insanely epic war game toward the end of a Civilization Two game because there wasn't that much else to do. It got tedious though. At first, like 
At first, if you're playing a lot your of that was because of transports, though, a lot of the tedium was because of always going to be anything tedium. that involves unit movement is going to get tedious, and you're going right? to have more of it in the late game, no matter yeah. what. I mean, that's that's the issue, right? I mean, you got you got to draw the line somewhere. The problem is in a civ game, like we don't really get the choice of where to draw the line. It just right? keeps going. The, the, the you know you got to have you got to have ancient units. You got to have like the Roman era. You got to have the medieval era. You got to have the musket era. You gotta have probably gonna have to have a bit of like the Civil Warish era. You gotta have to have World War II. You're gonna have to have modern. So you're talking about already about like seven or eight different er eras of units you're gonna go yeah. through, and you can only go through that stuff so fast. So like, there's no way to make a sim game that's less than 500 turns. But here's a question: How many turns is the right number of turns? Right? It's probably not 500. No, I don't think so. The biggest thing though is you know, think about Forex game. You know, explore, expand, exploit, exterminate. The first half of Civ contains a lot of exploration, a lot of expansion, a lot of exploitation, and you know a certain amount of extermination. By the time you get to the late game, you're down to extermination because there's nothing to explore. You've covered the map in cities. Everything's built and up. Even what are you doing? Even exploiting gets pretty dull because yeah. it's like, oh, I guess I'll build the plus five version of the plus three building from a generation ago. Right. Yeah. So the the whole appeal of the game of the genre is basically yeah. bleeding out. By the mid game, and then there's just what's left at the end. Yeah. Like I, mean, I, I think it's an intractable problem yeah. in a way. I mean, grinding your enemies is to dust is never that bad, right? You know, I mean, it's it's still like, well, this is what we'll do. I'll wipe them out. But like, is this how? Is this the best way to make a, a you know a strategy game like this? Yeah. Right? Like, well, it's also something where you know you do that once, and you're like, okay, it's fun. And then you have seven other opponents, and you're like, all right, well, here yeah. we go. Do it again. 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 And it doesn't. Nothing's really changing. You're usually just steamrolling over. Yeah. For and a lot of people, I think basically Civ, the way they, the level they played at, the Civ basically becomes kind of like the RPG where you're over leveled at the end. Like yeah. basically you get to God mode at the end. Like, you know, I play at a level so that I'm at tanks when everyone else is at knights, right? And then that's just a question I just have to roll through all their cities, right? But one way or another, like it's, yeah, I mean, it's kind of tedious. So you think this is why there's? Do you think this is part of the siren song of espionage that it's a new thing that can be introduced later in the game? That like, you know, this this will be different from all those other mechanics that exist in civilization because now you can bring out spies. Well, you're always you're you're always trying to juice that orange by the end because you know the original versions, the base versions of Civ are always pretty beefy games. You know, some more so, some less so. But there's always a lot in there, and if you're trying to add multiple large features to that, at a certain point you kind of run out, and you're like, well, what's left? Uh, I guess espionage. And everybody kind of knows it's just not that great, but by the time you get to the end, it's like, okay, well, that's what's left in the in the barrel. We got to pull it out. Um, and you know, that's one of the things that's always been a difficult kind of dichotomy uh, with Civ is that you have two very different audiences. There's one where people just want as much stuff as possible. There are people that you know, espionage. Yeah, bring it on. You know, we want as many feature boxes ticked as humanly possible. And then on the other side, I think are a lot, you know, more casual players who are just like, well, none of that really means much. Uh, and, and you could even kind of lump uh, purists in. That's kind of maybe that's more of a better way to put it, um, because you know you have a certain construct with the design, and then if you just keep kind of gluing things onto it, it's going to not be what it was. And some people don't care; they just want more, um, but. You know, some people do, and certainly designers do. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's it's a it's a challenge there. Um, you know, a common complaint that uh, you'll see 
uh, online is that every time a new base version of Sid comes out, it's like, oh, they just pulled everything out so they can sell it again. <laughs> and it's like, no. Where'd religion no. go, John? <laughs> you took away my religion. <laughs> give it, give it 12 months. <laughs> Cha-ching. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's literally what a lot of people think. And it's, Absolutely not the case. Oh, because, but, a, that suspicion has not helped when they immediately release 12 months later and expand from the yeah. dad's religion. Well, and it's like, yo, I heard you guys love religion. Well, the, the, the issue is, I mean, it literally is the case, right? Like, you take religion out of the game. You take, in Civ 4, we took a bunch of stuff out of Civ 3, right? You know, I mean, But like, not because you wanted to sell but, it later. Well, it's, <laughs> But the thing is, you're not selling a game by the power. Right, it's it's not yeah. like we're like ah, oh, we had religion on the shelf over here, and we just kind of like pulled it out because we're gonna save it for later. It's like yeah. you know. you're not getting religion in this game for sixty dollars. I'm sorry, <laughs> buddy, but I could talk to my manager. Yeah, but, you know, like I don't know. Yeah, I, it's yeah. I, ultimately, the expansions are going to get made, mm. and you gotta put something in there. And, you know, at that point, it's literally just a matter of yeah. looking in the barrel, seeing what's in there. Yeah, I mean, and there's never, you know, an intent behind but, it. Like, let's leave things in the barrel. Yeah, yeah, it sort of, just happens. Yeah, but, to me, Civ 4 was complete when it shipped. Right? Like, I had absolutely zero, zero anything else I wanted. In fact, there was probably a couple things I would have liked to have removed from Civ 4. Right? Yeah. So, like, which meant it was, like, extremely hard for me to work on the expansions. Like, you know, I, was, I spent plenty of time patching Civ 4, but I was like, you know, you, like, I was, you know the Civ, for the people in the expansions, I was like, you know, you guys got to do this for me. Like, you know, like, I can't, I can't do it myself, you know, like. I got nothing left. Like, it's hard. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've been wrung out, so I'm <laughs> off to Zynga. Peace out. <laughs> so, so, but, okay, so, when, so, when you're, when you're having that experience, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, because, like, okay, so you, this is you talking about expansions from the perspective of a guy now who's, who's, been a designer. He's he's been, he's he's created his own game from from start to finish. Uh, but like, were you skeptical of expansions when you were getting your first lead roll on one? Like, or was or were you kind of like jazzed no. to be like, I'm going to add, You're I'm like, gonna add stuff awesome to add yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, this is going to be great. Uh, you know, and that's now we can fix it. Yeah. Well, no, not even that. You just it's kind of gets back to what I think Soren was talking about in Civ Three. You kind of just don't even know anything. Like, you know, it's like the theory of learning, you know, at the beginning, you don't know what you don't know, and then you know what you don't know, and then you, you know, so on. Uh, at that point, you don't know what you don't know. And you're just like, all right, let's jump in, let's do this. And you add things, you make decisions, and you don't really understand the ramifications of them because you weren't the original designer, you don't have that experience. You haven't been inside and seen how everything is plugged into what. Uh, and it's not until later that you actually kind of get a feel for that. Um, so expansions are very difficult um, because at one end you have new people that are coming in, you know, the fresh blood, the people that are excited to work on it, uh, but they don't necessarily know how everything's put together. And on the other, you have the, the grizzled veteran who just, you know, wants to do anything but work on the expansions. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a tough, it's a tough uh, challenge, but, you know. Uh, so moving on to Civ Five now, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong. Civ Five is is the biggest Civ like ever from a financial standpoint. Like it's the best selling civilization. Yeah. Yep. At least by a factor of two. 
Yeah, I think Sif. Where does Sif four end up? Like somewhere around four million. Three to four million. Yeah. I, I, I really do not know. I wish I. Sif five also arrived sort of in the sweet spot for like digital distribution, right? Yeah. Like that's that's a channel that wasn't. I mean, that's the thing. Like, to... you want to know how many units Civ five lo- sold? You just look on Steam because every copy of Civ five yeah. or Steam Spy now. You know, Steam Spy. Every yeah. copy of Civ five sold through Steam. Civ four. It's like. You know, some of those copies are just probably lost. Like, probably literally no one knows the answer to that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, so, Civ Five, at least from that standpoint, was, was enormously successful. Uh, also, kind of a controversial Civ, right? In that it was kind of, it was kind of a Civ that, um, it was going after the Sacred Cows. Uh, possibly with a chainsaw, um, <laughs> and and so I'm, I'm kind of curious, like when when you, when you find like because you were you were a Civ fan, uh, you, you you really enjoyed the series, but when it was, it went, when it was your your time, uh, your approach was to make I, what I would say is a slightly more iconoclastic civilization. And I'm curious, like what was the motivation there? Uh, what was like was was there just a, like a laundry list of like oh man, if I ever get my dad, I'm just cutting that feature right out. I'm curious what, what you're bringing to the table there. <laughs> Once iconoclastic, now the dominant, <laughs> you know, kind of theory. Um, yeah, that's... It also kind of gets back to another thing Soren was talking about when he was talking about starting on Civ 4. His goal when he started Civ 4 was to fix Civ. Like, he knew what was there, he knew what was broken, and he said, all right, the goal, the main thing with this game is to plug those holes and smooth it off. And he did. <laughs> you know, there's not much, uh, you know, argument about how great Civ 4 is. And, you know, we knew that internally. I knew that. So the the option of just kind of, all right, well, let's plug holes and smooth it over is like, well, there's not that much to smooth over. We could update the graphics, you know, you, you could just kind of polish it up. Um, but then is that really a sequel? I don't know. It never seemed like something that was really a worthwhile effort because there's other things, there's new things you can do. So that was my approach was to say Civ 4 was basically perfect, the perfect Civ. Let's try something new. Not everything's going to work. Uh, there's going to be, you know, some bumps along the way, but it's it's time to try something new because, you know, Civ 4 yeah. was that good. So don't want to try to keep building on top of that. It'd be like making a third expansion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't know where I would have gone after Civ 4, for sure. Like, when I heard that John was going to try one unit per tile, like, you know, I had, I had reser- some reservations about that and that, like, I, I, you know, I maybe thought about that a little bit for Civ 4 and, you know, decided not to go that way. But I was totally, it's, it also seemed to me like that's a pretty good choice. Right. And that like you got to you got to like take some leaps to a place like that. It's not before. So you're at least you're you got new problems to solve. Like like there's going to be issues, but like you're doing something that's going to be different. Right. Like you can't like Yeah, you just can't keep iterating yeah. on the same well, thing. One way or another, Civ 5 is going to be different. Yeah. <laughs> and what shape that took, you know, was kind of something that I helped steer. But it's, you know, proof yeah. is in the pudding. <laughs> People like Civ. <laughs> So what what always what jumps out at me to this day, I think, is sort of the defining feature of, of Civ Five, is that Civ Five fundamentally doesn't want to become a game about like supermassive empires, 
uh, you, there's sort of a sweet spot. Like I feel like you're if if you want sort of a, a really flexible empire, it, it definitely feels like four or five cities is kind of your sweet spot in, in that game. Uh, and going larger than that, you start to run into real penalties. Uh, and I'm I'm interested in what the was it just a playability issue uh, that you didn't like late game sprawl. Uh, what was what was what was sort of set you in that direction? It was it was a playability issue. It was also just kind of a design concept. You know, let's let's you know, Civ is has always been about building the building the biggest empire you possibly can as soon as you possibly can, and you know, Civ Four is also that way. It's just the curve is shifted differently. But there's basically you know, Soren said himself, there's like a band that you want to be in. And, you know, at a certain point, like on turn 10, you have this X number of cities. On turn 25, you have, you know, X plus one, you know, there's kind of a predefined path that makes sense. Uh, and I wanted to kind of try something and mix that up. Uh, I'm not sure it works terribly well. Uh, and maybe it's just kind of a, you know, almost an impossible problem to solve where the decision of what to do with expansion is... You know, making that truly strategic where you have trade-offs and big things that are going on and there's not obvious answers, that's really hard to do with expansion. Um, and, you know, something where you always want more cities, so how do you balance that out um, and have a, a cost that's interesting? Um, I don't know. It's yeah. Expansion is a really tough thing. Uh, I don't think any Civ game has really gotten it quite right. Uh, but I will say that... Uh, you know, civilization is basically a empire builder, you know, empire simulator. You want to be you know, simulating the emperor kind of spreading out everywhere. And trying to restrict that too much is probably not a good idea, uh, just because it, it's kind of working against the base concept of the game. You want to build big empires. So when in doubt, it's probably better to let people do that than, than to try to... Try to monkey with it too yeah. too much. So, I wonder though, in, like almost on the other side, and it feels like um, Civ Five. I mean, it must have hit a, a, an audience slightly different than one of the Civ games before, because the audience is just so much bigger. And if you have a Civ game that does reward people or just enable people to like play legitimately with like four or five cities, I mean, that means the games can go. They can go a lot faster. You know, they're not as big a scope. They're not as necessarily as like they're not as tedious. When yeah, you get to I don't. The end. I don't think. I think more casual players tend to build fewer cities. Right. Like so more of the hardcore players, like yeah, you get everything. You just keep going. Right. And so, there's middle ground there, but yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like Civ Five is probably like been the most successful game among like I think casual players are more likely to keep playing Civ Five than they would have any of the other Civ games. Um, yeah, I mean so the the penalties for expansion in Civ Four were could be quite harsh. Like you could build a city and then minus ten maintenance, yeah. and oh, oh my, yeah. this I is mean, bad. <laughs> it, it's it's funny because in many ways it's worse than corruption. Civ oh yeah, right. Like corruption just more punishing. It just means your cities will be making less less stuff, right? But like in Civ Four, you can put yourself actually in a hole. Yeah, with just, one city. Right, right. Um, and which is good when you know what you're getting into and you know what that next city is going to mean, and you're balancing all those trade offs. So yeah, if you're an expert player, you know what all the numbers are. That's great. If you're not, then it's almost kind of a gotcha where it's like, oh, you built that city and you weren't really paying that much attention to this little number in the corner of the city screen that you don't really visit very often. And suddenly your game is collapsing. You're like, well, this isn't very fun. Um, 
And that's why I say maybe it's kind of an intractable problem because you kind of have these two things that are competing in such a way. And there's just, there's not many axes of, um, I guess, you know, actability. Uh, you just kind of have, okay, build more city, yes or no. What does that impact? Is that, you know, if you could do something where it's like, okay, well, if you build this city here, it's going to make these people unhappy. If you build this city there, it'll make these different people unhappy. Or if you don't build a city at all, there's this other faction in your government that gets upset. Where you have different things that are connecting up in different ways instead of just build more city. Yes, no. Gold, yes, no. You know, it's one axis of decision making. So I think if you kind of mix things way up and did something like that, where it's multiple different competing overlapping trade-offs, then it could be made something really interesting. But I think as it stands right now, it's kind of a simpler system. It's just, I don't know, it still kind of gives me a bad taste in my mouth, Zip 5 included. Civilization is such a huge franchise. It's kind of the, um, I mean, it's as close as, like, strategy gaming has to, like, a Madden-type thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where, like, oh, well, new one's out, time to, time to go check it out. Uh, but at the same time, there's, it, it sort of seems like there's this pressure on Civ uh, to be everything to all people uh, that it has to like it has to allow me to play my sit it has to allow me it has to like be the civilization that I've always enjoyed but also has to be new uh, and so like I, I think an example of like there is there is a there there's there's a tension I become aware of in myself and 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 what I want out of civilization because in many ways like you always for, you always remember your first Civ, right? And like for me, that's Civ two. Uh, and so like sometimes I'm like, why did I enjoy some of those ridiculous late game wars so much? Where it's like empires with like thirty cities apiece, just like hurling, like it, you know, like it's true Lord of the Rings stuff. Yeah, uh, I, at I, the end, I look back now and all the time and, and fun I had playing Civ three. I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's not like I'm like. I, I, on the one hand, I'm not sure that stuff was it would be fun for me now, uh, but at the same time, there's parts of me that that miss it, right? Like particularly in Civ Five and then Beyond Earth, even more so. I, I miss that that experience of like fleeing these huge empires at each other. But then on the other hand, I also really like sort of the um the. the the elegant constraints that like a Civ Five uh, puts on you, where it like forces you from from like the get go to sort of be thinking about how your strategy is going to unfold over the course of an entire game. And I want both of those things. <laughs> and no matter what, you know what I mean. Like no matter what choice you make, I'd be like, well, yeah, yeah but it doesn't like you know if, if it's a little too much like Civ Two. I'm like, yeah, but then it's got this end game problem. It just sort of goes on. And we I, we tried in Civ Four. To, and I'm sure a lot of stuff was in Civ Five as well, but like we tried to give, we tried to be very open to all the different ways people could play the game, right? And obviously modding is like the extreme end of that, but that also include things includes things like, um, you know, we had like the game speed feature in Civ Four, right? Which was like game speed in a turn-based game. Like, what does that even mean, right? What that what that meant was should have um, called it game pace. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know what it meant was is like we were like I said, a Civ game is about five hundred turns long. Like we yeah. were messing with that, right? Like we had like the marathon mode, which targeted about a thousand turns, right? Um, and what that meant is like we just like you know we doubled the cost 
of, of all the technologies, right? And uh, and there was, I think, you need more culture to level up. You need more great people points to set yeah. up. But some stuff did not change, right? Like, the, I think the cost of units was probably about the same. Um, so, because still, it's going to take the same number of turns to walk from one place to another, yeah. right? But, like, but that's the thing. Like, yeah, like... the. Maybe maybe someone is in the mood for they want to play that that epic game that still kind of feels like that what you yeah. described in Civ yeah. Two and like that's kind of the way you got it in in Civ Four and then there was the other side there was like a, the faster version of the game which you know worked better for, for multiplayer <laughs> absolutely because you know that would you know that was something we wanted to solve there as well it's like look the five hundred turn game is just not it for for that right and so you know we you know I always just felt like look there's there's more ways to play Civ than I could ever understand. Like I always loved after both Civ three and Civ four, just you know, waiting six months and then seeing all the different crazy ways the community would play the game, right? Because there are all these nutty variants of like you know like the succession games where like I played I played twenty turns, then John played twenty turns, then you'd play twenty turns, and or there'd be like the democracy games where it's like one one save game that everyone downloads and like everyone votes. On what what the person should do, and or like maybe it's one like Twitch plays before Twitch plays. Yeah, oh, man, yeah, actually, that was my bag. Yeah, um, I spent more time doing that than anything in Civ yeah. Three. And, and some of them did it like they split it up. Like one guy's the technology minister, right? One guy's the military. So one guy gets to choose the technologies. The other guy gets to like move the military. It's like, come on, man, please pick gunpowder. Like, no, I'm not gonna pick gunpowder. Like, oh, come on, you know, like you, you know, have like, like thirty people that were voting as well. Yeah, chipping in. It and was then, really cool. Yeah, and then they, they then there's the next level of of like you'd have these multi-site multiplayer games where like you essentially it's like team games, but not like multiple civ teams. Like each each civ was controlled by like twenty people, right? You know, and like so you'd have this game of civ that essentially involved like a hundred people or more, um, and like. That stuff's pretty crazy, you know. Like it was, you know, we, you know, we did what we could to like give them the the tools within the game to like enable that stuff. And and you know, like for so for like these giant games, what that meant is like the pit boss, right? Which was like a way to play the game where it was just running off a computer without any graphics or any sound. And you know, someone would just like take an old computer and they just leave it up all the time. Um, there's a site that tracks these games, and there's still like a lot of people who play it for that way. You know, they've had these games that have been running for years now. Um, and you know that's that's totally not a mainstream way to play Civ, but like you know, like Civ is just one of those games, right? It's it's such a temple. You want to like you want to pull everyone in if you can. The trick is to like figure out a way to do that, like at a meta design level, right? Where you're not like you're not necessarily making decisions about the design of the game to like favor one group or another. You're like thinking like, okay, what are the different ways we can let you adjust the game? Or run the game differently so that it makes your group of players happy, right? If that makes sense, because like you know, with a lot of a lot of franchises, you know, they 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 often do have those specific choices of like, well, we could choose option A, which will choose the will please these type of players, and option B, which will choose those type of players. And for sure, we had those those choices in Civ, but we try we tried never to get too extreme. You know, we tried to figure out like, can we give people different victory conditions or different this or that to like make those people happy. Is it to what degree? To what degree does like having something that's such a tentpole become a difficult design constraint? It's good and it's bad. Uh, once you've made your Civ game, it's all bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely true. <laughs> um, but when you haven't, you know, for the you know other seven billion people in the world minus three, minus four. 
uh, it's it can actually be a really good thing because it, it helps narrow down the possibilities into something that you can digest and understand and really wrap your head around and you know polish and make correct when anything is possible is you just kind of stab in a direction and you just kind of wander around you're like is this the right thing maybe i don't know and when you have certain constraints that are just you know this is what this has to be then you can work within those bounds confidently and know all right we're going to do this and this is why it's good and let's let's go for it yeah i would never start a game from scratch that aimed to have the scope of civ right like it's it's a miracle that civ works as it does right like i think like the thematic fantasy of Civ is just so powerful that, like, it, it overcomes a lot of design flaws, right? Um, I mean, you know, if you, if you, I mean, you can, you can look at all these iterations of Civ where each one made, like, significant strides over the one before, which makes you wonder, well, what was the first one like, right? And, <laughs> um, and, but it was just, like, people wanted to play that game so much, right? Um, but, yeah, again, like, I, you know, don't want to keep making games like Right, like it's, I'm glad there is a game out here like this, but you shouldn't you shouldn't be making other games that are of the scope of Civ because it's problematic. Yeah, um, I mean, do you ever feel like I mean, like like for me, I'm always sort of amazed. Like now, a civilization game it seems like has to support the one city challenge thing, for instance. Like there has to be a way to complete a game that's fundamentally about empire building without actually building an empire. And it it's gone. It seems like it's gone from being this weird like edge case thing that people could see if it was possible to break the constraints of the game and 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 get a victory on one city yeah. to a thing that now is like no 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 that's a totally valid and important way to play civilization. Okay, well well here is absolutely that's a, it's a very good point and here's like the 10 times version of that point. <laughs> one unit per tile. What's going to happen to that? <laughs> right? Like, you know, I um you know, eventually there's going to be another version of Civ 6. And eventually. There's, eventually, there's going to be another version of Civ. But there will also be another version of Civ 6. <laughs> eventually, there will be another version of Civ. Probably. Civ 6 Beyond Earth again. <laughs> probably called Civ 6. Um, and, uh, you know, they're not going to have both multiple units per tiles and one computer. I mean, I guess you could be really crazy and have a checkbox and be like, which version do you want to play? But, like, probably they're going to have to commit to one or the other. And at this point. Or just a brilliant, like, Solomon, like, what about one stack per tile? <laughs> And yeah, well, yeah, but you're gonna have to you're gonna have to come up with yeah. one answer to that question. And at this point, there are absolutely big camps on both sides of those questions. And there <laughs> were not big camps on both sides of those questions before yeah. Civ Five, right? Like before Civ Five, there were probably people who were like, "They should really try one unit per tile," but it was so theoretical that it wasn't going to be this like heated debate. But like. That's out there that now. That's something they have to live with. Was, was the Stacks of Doom as prevalent a term before when you Tile was introduced? Because like the moment, like it, okay, yeah, it was. it was a term from from okay pre Civ Five. I mean, it was definitely because now I usually see, now I usually see it deployed in the context of no, you have to have one unit per tile. Otherwise, the game goes back to being this garbage <laughs> where you'd have like stacks of doom, and in one city it didn't matter. In one turn, a city could be destroyed. Do you remember? Wait, I guess since you played Civ Two, well, maybe Civ Two worked the same way. I don't think. So the, the solution to yeah, <laughs> it, those did, it did. So it did. the solution to stacks of doom in Civ One solution. was was if something if I had a stack of twenty units yeah. and I walked up to you with those twenty units and you attacked me, if you won a battle yes. against me, all yeah. twenty oh, units yeah, got yeah. wiped out. Oh yeah. So it's kinda crazy. Like even in the very first one. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sid had the conception of like, oh, there, this is kind of problematic. Um, and uh, yeah, and that was his his answer. Yeah, I mean, all versions have issues. Like the strong argument for stacks of, of whatever type is, generally speaking, it's like how you feel about the AI, right? Like the AI is probably going to be better just because it's going to be easier to write and. It's not like the AI programmers are lazy, right? It's just like AI programming is is really hard to get right. So you want to give you want to give the AI, a, 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 you know, you don't want to make the job hard for the AI any more than you have to, right? It's already going to be a very hard job. So if if you're on the side of the fence where you want the AI to be playing at the same level, the same type of game you are, then you're probably going to be on the side of stacks, right? If like you just hate that idea of like these giant stacks moving around, you know, and you want, I think for people who are more like visual about their games, you know, they want to see their pieces sort of laid out all in front of them, and like there isn't like, well, that looks like one unit, but it's really twenty, right? Like I think they're probably going to be favoring one unit per tile. But that's the thing at this point, it's it's now kind of a design aesthetic choice, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not, I don't think there's, you know, people can argue strongly on one side or the other, but I don't think I don't think you'd be like, well, this is absolutely got to be this way. Mm -hmm. And now they're now, but now it's going to be like a debate, right? Oh yeah. So I, I'm not. Get out your I'm not jealous of jealous. No, I'm not. I'm really in trouble with vocabulary today. I'm not <laughs> envious of having to deal with that that issue. <laughs> Me neither. Trying <laughs> <laughs> to left this bomb, yeah. and, you know, for them, well, and like now they got to deal with it. You know, it's it's kind of funny because at this point, I you know, kind of ironic, perhaps. I would say that uh, stack combat is probably the objectively better approach, especially when you consider, like if you, the main problem with stacks is the AI. If you play a multiplayer game of Civ 3 or Civ 4, you yep. have these stacks moving around that will break up and try to you yep. know, flank and hide through, for, you know, hide in forests and do all sorts of, you know, like naval invasions, sneaking behind lines, like all that's really interesting. But none of that exists with AI because it doesn't have the tactical awareness of like, okay, let me advance this way and then do this. Uh, and then try to sneak around the side and split the stack, merge the stack, and then fall back to the city and then advance onto that one hill. You know, when you're playing against a human, you have all of that nuance. It's just so, that's really, really interesting. But with AI, you don't. And so one advantage that one per tile has is it kind of builds in some of that into the default state. So the AI is weaker, but the base system is stronger. It's kind of a very strange uh, juxtaposition there. Um, and yeah, if I were making another Civ game, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't do one unit per tile hand. And at the gates, I'm doing a stack combat system, Yeah. Um, you know, with some wrinkles. But yeah, it's it's a big question. And I, uh, I am looking forward to seeing the response once uh, Civ 6 and whatever it, approach it takes uh, gets announced. <laughs> so if you've been listening to the show, uh, like in the last year, uh, I, I've grown increasingly—I I would say probably a, a little bit burnt out, cynical. Call, call it what you will about forex in general. Um, and so I you have the, are you on the downside, the trick parabola, essentially. <laughs> oh yes, for an entire genre. Uh, yeah, that, that <laughs> might be it. But but I think like turning it to Civ. Mm -hmm. Has okay, so has Civ's influence been one hundred percent positive on grand strategy gaming as a whole? Um, I would say absolutely, because when Civ Five came out, how many forex games were being released? 
two, one a year. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember. It was like Galaxy of Two was kind of there, and um, that was before like Star Drive and um, yeah, you know, the endless, the games. endless. Yeah, I was. I, I'm sure there's things I'm blanking yeah. on, but things have changed dramatically now. It's like, yes. oh my goodness, there's so yes. many 4X games coming out, and whether you are burned out on the genre or not. That is objectively a better thing. It means you're going to get more games, you're going to get more people in there playing, more people trying new things. I think that's just objectively good. Um, you know, there's certainly some downsides to that, but I would say, you know, absolutely yes. Well, so my concern is just sometimes it feels like Civ casts such a long design shadow over an entire genre that sometimes it feels like what you have actually isn't as much a 4X genre as you have, like, a Civ-like genre oh, at yeah. times. And I think maybe that is sometimes my reservation yeah. about I, the, the greatness and popularity of Civ. I hear what you're saying, but if not for the greatness and popularity of Civ, that just would not exist at all. Like, Civ has brought all these games in its wake. Um, and without that, like, you look at the RTS genre, you know, there's, you know, it's kind of evolved into the MOBAs in a lot of ways. But there's nothing, there's, it's basically just gone. And the same thing could have happened with 4X. Like, if, if Soren's, you know, apocalyptic Civ three nightmare had come to fruition, like, Forex could have basically just died off in 2001. Like, that's I mean, yeah, both, I mean, Move 3 did fail, right? And as well, Civ 3 had failed as well. Like, yeah, probably would have been some Dark Ages for a while there for Forex. I mean, I mean that would have been pre-Paradox, too, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, who knows what would have happened. Nothing um, good, tell you that much. I mean, <laughs> I, I think you were kind of getting at something a little different. With your question, right? Like, like the design sensibility of Civ, like yeah. what type of different. I mean, like, I mean, it's true for any time. There's any one game that like is just like the defining one for for you know like a, a genre. It's like everything you everything you like. Whenever you talk about a forex game, you kind of compare it to like, well, it does this like Civ, but it does this different from Civ, right? So. You know, I I you know I, I mean I think I think long term like. You know, more avenues will be tried. I mean, I think there's a lot of there. There, there's more variety out there. I, I I will say this that I think that any game, any any designer working on a forex game who doesn't really listen to what we're saying when we're like, don't make your game too long. Like, if you don't take that advice seriously, like you could you could. It's very easy to make a bad game, even if you have a lot of cool design elements in your game, right? Like, so be careful about that. Um, and not just for that reason. Yeah, and that's and that's <laughs> just like such the stereotype. That's like just the classic mistake to make when you're making forex games because those games just scream like bigger, better, or bigger, larger, longer. Like that's just you know it's just part of that the feeling of those yeah, games. Yeah, and the right? thing the thing that's tough is you know you cite that you know everything's kind of civ like and that's you know kind of lame. But if you look at a lot of the forex games that have come out, a lot of them just aren't even that good. So you have Civ-like games that are basically copying it, and yet they still fail. So, you know, that kind of says something maybe a little bit, uh, you know, profound and frightening about the genre and designing it. Uh, but, yeah, I think, I think the, the answer to that might be answered or, or might come here in the next five or so years because we're starting to see games like, you know, Epic Gates, games like Thea, The Awakening... Um, nice, nice. <laughs> it's different. He's a Cut pro. He's a pro. It's different. <laughs> At the gates is here to redeem the forex. Hey, no, that's fair. It's different. It's, yeah. You know, well, what I what I, what I would say is, to me, the big the weird thing about the forex genre is that 
one of the just the core things that makes Civ work so well is that it's got this epic game, but like it's easy for people to grasp because it's about stuff that people know, mm -hmm. right? But that's like completely ignored. That's the aspect of Civ that everyone ignores, and instead, like you know, I think the world needs another sci-fi 4x game. Like, you know, it's a big uh, galaxy. What if I instead of muskets, have... you had tachyon projectors? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be awesome, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. The, the, the game's just, like, they rain, they fall from the sky. There's so many sci-fi 4X games. And, like, I really only ever want to play one or two probably my whole life, right? Like, <laughs> And you already have. Yeah. <laughs> I played them. <laughs> You're done. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. It's just a lot of... You know, a lot of the same thing and not done well. But I, again, I think that's starting to turn around the past yeah. few years, in part because just the bulk of games that are coming out now, some of them are just, you know, even if just by random chance they're going to end up being good. Yeah. And, you know, even beyond that, you're seeing, like, Amplitude makes yeah. good games. They, that, and they're getting even better at it. So yeah. that's a big yeah. thumbs up. I mean, Endless Legend was a remarkable set of ideas. You know, I... I have I I I, sh I would reserve judgment because I haven't played it enough to determine whether it holds together, and I you know I know that's an issue some other people have with it, but like the the pure like design creativity in that game is amazing, right? There are like you know I played it through, and I like within the day I had a giant list of like these are a bunch of interesting ideas that would work well and like a, that that are are worth thinking about for a you know a turn based four XL game, right? Like they're there is some real meaty stuff there. Like, I know that if I played that game before Civ 4, that, you know, like, probably some of Civ 4 worked, worked out differently. So. That would be a very, very strange time paradox. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly your great people can be equipped with, like, hero items and, and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Uh, so, you know, as, as, we, as we wind this down, I'm, I'm curious... Uh, If you have anything like that was on your wish list for civilization, like like you know, like for something that for whatever reason you just couldn't do it because it would have changed too much of what it means to be a civilization game, uh, you know, if there if there's anything there that like there's a design constraint that every that every developer inherits who works on Civ, if there's something you just blow away and say if we were if you were if we were going like blank slate here, the entire uh, industrial modern eras. <laughs> <laughs> Just cut the game in half. Just call it, call it finished halfway through. Just at the end of the game, like Pandaria opens up and you can resettle like another another. Sure, whatever yeah. you want. Just you know, only like two hundred turns. Please, yeah. come on. <laughs> Sora and I have actually talked about this. Like, just end the game. Just, just, just so, yeah, let it end. Thing so, yeah, works for the real history is like, if only there was this other continent on the other side of the world that you came upon and then could like. <laughs> say around 1500 like yeah. that would make the game really interesting but so, um, yeah I, I joke but that's legitimately one of the things and it's again kind of one of the approaches I'm taking in my current game which yeah. I won't name for being a you know accused of shill <laughs> uh, but like the scope is very different very much yeah. confined and I'm not saying hey I'm trying to represent everything here it's just a smaller slice and you can get more nuance within that slice yeah, I would have I would have tried to reduce the scope too, but I mean I wouldn't actually have tried to do that. Like like Fraxis didn't stop me from doing that. I stopped myself. Like, I mean it's it's Civ, right? You're just You could have the base game be through the medieval era and then each expansion could be a brand new era. Well, I'm sure the publisher would be on board with like, hey, I got this idea. <laughs> Mike just We're make it Civ four part one and Civ Four Part Two. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I 
legitimately think that might make for a better game. Like, there would be outrage. You know, there would be blood in the streets if yeah. that actually happened. But it's, I think it would actually be potentially better as yeah, better as it designed. It's the blessing and the curse of Civ, right? Like, and that's the thing. Why, like, there is Civ, but like, I wouldn't. I don't think you should necessarily go out there and try to imitate it, right? And so, um, you know, it. They're lucky, right? Because it's uh, in in terms of like I think it's kind of an unassailable franchise, right? Like I think there'll be other there should be other interesting historical forex games, but like, um, you know, it's it's such a hard game to to compete with because it's 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 just so it, it's so big, it's so it's so hard to make right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, again, pulling from ideas that I'm actually working on right now, but. Um, Having a centralized economy, kind of in the in the model of imperialism, where you have kind of like this central, you know, your capital and you allocate resources there, and then everything you do on the map, you know, you don't manage each city individually because in the late game that just becomes impossible, and you know that would be certainly controversial, but imperialism did it. You know, other games have done it. I think that would be an idea worth exploring because. If you can kind of pare things down to, okay, you have one kind of production pipeline, then you have to make tougher choices because you have one pipeline. You're not building, you know, libraries in every single one of your 18 cities. Yeah. It's like, okay, do you want that library? Because you really need some military units. Yeah. And it's so much more amplified when you have one production pipeline than when you have 20. With 20, it's like, all right, well, you know, I'll set three cities on it instead of two. Yeah, if I, if I, if I was really spitballing and not having to worry about, like, I have to make this game work. Like I would probably try like a territory-based version of Civ, like basically one without tiles. Um, <laughs> Says the guy who's, uh, who claims Civ is more of a tile game than a turn game. It is. I mean, it's it's tiles are very <laughs> core to Civ. But like, if I'm making a 4x historical game, if that's the priority, right? Like, I think yeah. if you make it just about territory, it solves a lot of problems because then it's a question of like, well, what units do you have in this territory? And when you go to war between them. Mm. You know, then you're going to probably have a series of battles. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And then it's the question of like, what's the composition of forces you have? And then it actually probably would make sense to have a little mini game that you play, you know, when you do combat because you're not pushing units around tile to tile. So um, I think that could work. But that's even, that's even, well, that's definitely, clearly that's farther out from like one unit per tile. Right? Like that, yeah. they, that's that basically made, imperialism too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, they had, they had tiles too in a way, right? That game is so, that's a really interesting game, man. That game like has mm -hmm. such a different, that's really the good game to point to for someone who wants like the alternative version of Civ, like in a different world, how it would have come out because a lot of its assumptions were just so different from Civs that I don't think I was ever really able to like, like attach to that game. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I like, I was like, there's a lot of interesting stuff, but like, I feel like I need a different brain from like the way Civ is wired my brain to play this game. Yeah. I, so. I, I definitely got on, got into it and I'm pulling from it still. Yeah. Um, but the, the big thing was the centralized economy. Yeah. It, as a designer, it's, you know, we also talk a lot about board game design mm -hmm. and how board games tend to be better designed than computer games in part because the constraints. You have fewer things going on. And so, you know, a board game, if you have, you know, three actions per turn, thinking about what you do with those actions is a very big deal. It doesn't play as well in PC games where, you know, you can model anything. So you should have infinite decisions. Uh, but just purely from yeah. a design standpoint, it's probably not better to have infinite decisions or infinite anything. Hardly ever. <laughs> yeah, it's hardly ever better. Yeah. So that's why, like, going from a, a real-time game where you can just yeah. kind of move units around wherever to a tile-based game, the tiles make the game better in a lot of ways because you have those constraints. You have those 
concepts that you can easily digest. Um, so I, yeah, I would definitely never make a game where it was just kind of free flowing. I think you know that often got suggested in the Civ community, like you just have yep. radiuses around. That, things that came like, up a lot. I'm like, oh god. Yeah, whenever I play the Total War games, are like that. It totally weirds me out. Again, I think that's a similar thing. Like my brain is so wired to tiles, and I'm just yeah. like, where should I move? I can just move anywhere. What? What is this? <laughs> Nothing means anything. <laughs> this is craziness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stop now. Um, but yeah. Yeah. One one of the other things that I might have done is. Again, something else I'm trying, which is adding more personalities, adding actual characters. So you have games like XCOM, you have games like Crusader Kings mm -hmm. that are introducing actual characters that have traits that can do things and have a story to them. And that's already kind of a, an element of Civ that people kind of layer on themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, some the game certainly pushes that along in some ways, like the promotions on units and, and uh, that sort of thing. But taking that a lot further, I think, could be really beneficial and it might also be a way of trying to you know combat the idea of you just spam out bunches and bunches of things that are all nameless and infinite and they go everywhere and it bogs down the game if you kind of have something where it's like okay you have a more meaningful cast of characters um you know a king of dragon pass is another example like you have yeah. your you have your council you know of these people that are have specific personalities i think incorporating something along those lines could be really interesting. Like you could have a political system, maybe, where you have like people there, factions that are competing within your government, and that could make like the late game more interesting. So there's there's I think a lot of meat on that bone that I hope is explored one day in in a game that has the scope of Civ. Cool. Me, I just I I think uh, I want tactical battles. <sighs> no, I really don't. Every time two two uh, two units bump into each other, yeah. Interesting. As Sid uh. mentioned to me a while, uh, like about a month ago, that um, he uh, I, uh, I, I I interviewed Sid for my Designer Notes podcast, um, which will be posted sometime in the next nine months. Sometime in the next nine months. <laughs> um, but you know, we went to a lot of stuff about about Civ, and uh, one of the things he talked about um, was that. I guess between when Brian was working on Civ 2, I guess Sid was actually trying to make a tactical like mini game that you played inside of Civ. Like he actually did go down that path for a while. Like, you know, every time two units bump into each other, you know, you go to a little grid and you do a little Heroes of Might Magic thing and like like wow. <laughs> Anyway, obviously, Sid, you know, this is also when uh, the the idea of a unit workshop was kind of introduced around that era. So <laughs> maybe there was something in the water. All right, so I think that will do it for our discussion <laughs> of uh, civilization at twenty five. Uh, Soren John, thank you uh, so much for spending this afternoon with me, and uh, it's been great getting to do this in person uh, mm -hmm. and and really deep dive on the series. Yep, I'm just so proud. Civ has finally grown up. <laughs> And huge and scary. <laughs> but, yeah. It's, it's not, like your child you fear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's done a lot of good things for me, certainly, and strategy gamers as a whole. So yep. hopefully there is a lot more I to come. We're not quite at the point yet where the Civ designers are younger than Civ. But it's, it could happen. it's just around the corner. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> then things are really going to start changing. <laughs> You're going to have, like, shooter elements. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. That's not. Ugh. All right. Uh, 
This episode of Three Moves Ahead was produced by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can learn more about the show at threemovesahead.net and uh, join our community for discussions in our forums. Uh, until next week, this is Rob Zachney for Soren and John. Good night. Bye, yeah, yeah,